We bow our heads and pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable to you through the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As biblical Christians, we Lutherans believe that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, and we believe this good news because we hold Scripture alone to be our ultimate authority. Now, that does not mean that Scripture tells us all that we need to know about God. There are other sources of knowledge about God, and we'll touch on that today because Jesus touches upon it in our Gospel lesson. But no other book, no other teaching, no other authority shall be regarded as equal to the Scripture, and all other authorities, all other books, shall be subject to it. That's what we mean when we say we believe in Scripture alone as our ultimate authority. There are other authorities, but we subject them all and evaluate them all in light of Holy Scripture. So I direct your attention to our page 9 in the bulletin, the sermon outline. The Bible is God's special book revealing his redemption of all creation. His redemption. To redeem something means that you buy it back. It's been in a sorry state, a sorry condition, and you're purchasing it out of that condition. People are redeemed out of bondage, out of slavery, for example. At a pawn shop, you may pawn something and then later redeem it back at a greater cost, but you're buying it back. That's the idea. We've been redeemed from what God has placed us under, that is his condemnation and the sentence of death because of sin. Justly so, we are condemned, but by his grace, through the blood of his Son, we are redeemed. That is the good news. And Holy Scripture, point A, reveals our inability, our spiritual inability. St. Paul writes in Romans 5, For while we were still weak, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And point number one, we're born spiritually dead. St. Paul writes, As for you, Ephesians, he's writing to Christians, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to walk. No longer are you spiritually dead. You've been made alive in Christ. That's resurrection, spiritually. But we were spiritually dead. That means, number two, we cannot come to God. We cannot do that on our own. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. If you believe in the Lord, you've been drawn by the power of God. And point number three, we cannot praise him on our own. We cannot do that. Our hearts are closed to him apart from his grace. This is why St. Paul wrote, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And the psalmist wrote, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. In other words, our lips remain closed 
to the praise of God until our lips are opened, our hearts are opened to him. Therefore, point B, salvation is pure gift. It must be. And we see that in verse 32 on page 8 of your bulletin. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom is gift, in other words. It's not earned. And notice, it is your Father's good pleasure. That means we are his children. We've been called to be his children by the Son of God. God reveals himself as Father through the ministry of the Son, and we become sons of God through faith in him. And notice, the reason for this inheritance, this kingdom, is not in us. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's not that we deserve it, we do not. The point is, the reason for your being in God's kingdom is solely in God. He's the reason, his grace and his mercy. Roman numeral two. But even God's children worry about life in this world. We worry. We may have a home in heaven. We may know that we're redeemed. But sometimes, even as the unbelievers, we are worried and frustrated by the vicissitudes, the changes, and the tribulations of this world. We are. Verse 22, and Jesus said to his disciples, he's speaking now to his followers, those who believe in him, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. And, and the tense of the, of the verb in the Greek means stop doing what you're already doing. Stop being worried. You already are. Now stop. What you will eat or about your body, what you will put on. That is to say, life is frail. It is fleeting. And we worry that we will run out of resources before our life ends. That's the fear. We fear not so much death, we fear dearth. Dearth is scarcity. It is the lack of what we need. As I talk to Christians, I find that, you know, Christians are, are good to believe that the next life is better. They're not fearful of death. They're fearful of life, outliving their resources. That's the fear. I remember the beginning of the pandemic. I'm sure you do as well. What were people buying up? People were buying up disinfectants, buying up personal protective equipment, all of those things. And those are good things. But did they stop the spread? It's a good question. That's, that's a debatable point. Jesus said a man's life does not consist in the abundance, the overkill of possessions. It depends on God. Roman numeral three. Nature is God's other book, revealing his providential care for all creation. 
Nature is the other book. Psalm 19 reads in this way, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. That's the book of nature. The early church fathers talked about two books God has given, the book of Holy Scripture and the book of nature. We can learn about God from both, but the ultimate source, the clearest source of revelation about God, the infallible source, is Holy Scripture. Everything else must be judged by it. Psalm 145, the psalmist wrote, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand, and you satisfy the desire of every living thing, man and animal alike. That is to say, the world is God's commissary. The world is God's kitchen. And daily he's at work providing for the needs of all creatures. And this book of nature reveals our inability, just like Holy Scripture reveals our spiritual inability. The book of nature reveals our inability as well. Verses 25 and 26. Verse 25. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour? Now, the word in the Greek, pycne, means a cubit, 18 inches. Which of you, by worrying, can add 18 inches to his life? Now, the idea here, and you find this throughout Scripture, your span of life is portrayed as a journey, a trip, a walk, okay? And I, I looked it up. The average American in his lifetime travels about 80,000 miles. That's 3.2 times around the globe you travel before you die, okay? Now, picture this. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a picne, 18 inches, to his journey? Now, this is the word of the Lord, okay? Revealing to us that though we travel long, and, and some journeys are shorter than others, some people die sooner, some people die later, the journey may be a little longer for some, but 18 inches? That's all you can manage by worrying and fretting. Verse 26, if then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you so anxious about the rest? It is our inability to make a difference that we forget. Letter B, like salvation, temporal blessings are pure gift. Food, clothing, shelter are gift. This is why the Lord teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. We don't earn it, it is gift. The labor, the strength to labor is all gift. It's all gift. Everything is. And point number one, consider the ravens. Verse 24, the word consider here means to 
Think hard about this, okay? Don't just pass over it quickly, but meditate on it, ruminate on it. Think about the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They don't have the advantages we have. They can't sow, they can't reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. They don't have freezers, and yet God feeds them. And I think the point is this. Ravens are unclean animals. The law of Moses lists them as unclean. They're unfit for consumption. They eat garbage. They eat carrion, dead stuff. Okay. They are among the least valued of all creatures, among the least desirable, and yet God feeds them. Meditate on it. And then verses 27 and 28, point number two, consider the lilies. Verse 27, meditate on the lilies. Think hard about them, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. They don't have the abilities that we have in that regard. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Not one is surpassed by Solomon. Even the worst lily surpasses Solomon in his glory. Uh, even the worst lily having, having the worst hair day is more glorious than Solomon was, according to our Lord. The point is this. God gives us the book of Holy Scripture to create faith and to strengthen our faith. He also gives us the book of nature as a supplement to a faith that grows weak, that has grown weak. Often we're like those disciples in our gospel lesson for today who have little faith because either we ignore the scripture or we forget it completely. And when we ignore the scripture, Jesus then will point us to his other book, the book of nature. It's as if Jesus is saying in our gospel reading, if you still got, doubt God's ability or willingness to meet your needs, then open your eyes to see what God is doing around you every day in your own neighborhood. Look at what he's doing. You don't see birds starving. You don't see lilies unclothed. He causes every day his sun to rise on the evil and the good. He causes every day his rain to fall on the just and the unjust. In other words, he forgets no one, including you or me. Point C. So what does Jesus mean? Life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. There is much more involved in maintaining life than just food or personal protective equipment or vaccines, as good as those things are. They are good, but they are not our security. Our security is the Lord. Point number one, food is only one of God's means of sustaining life. The other is his word. This is why Jesus said, man does not live by bread only, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Even if food fails, Point number two, your life is not over. 
Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. It's up to him. Uh, I suppose the Lord could sustain you without food if he wanted. He sustained Jesus 40 days without it. I don't think any of us will undergo such a test, nor should we. But it is God's ability to provide. And then point number three, even if you die, death is not the end. Death is a graduation to glory for the believer in Christ. Death is a promotion for you and for me. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and the one who lives and believes in me will never die. That's Jesus. And all of this means, point D, that God's beloved children can afford to be generous. And I direct your attention to verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Now, Jesus doesn't say sell all of your possessions and give to the needy. How was this implemented in the early church? As someone in the community had a need? There were no banks. So someone in the congregation would sell something of value and lay the proceeds at the apostles' feet. As there was a need, there was giving to that need. That was how they sold their possessions and gave to the needy. It wasn't selling all at once. That would put everyone into poverty and everyone dependent on someone else's largesse. That's not the teaching. But as there is a need, we respond, especially to those who are of the household of faith. That's the priority. I mean, we're generous to all, we should be, but first and foremost, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, because our Father, whom we share, has been generous to us in Christ. Verse 33 continued, Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Notice what God does. He induces us to give, not only by showing us how generous he is to all creation every single day, but by reminding us that whatever we choose to give freely, choose to give in this life, will more than be repaid in the next. That's what he's saying. And, and this, is, this mirrors what our Lord taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Give, and it will be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, it will be poured into your lap. That's the generosity of God. We may give with a spoon, he gives back with a shovel. That's his promise. That's in the next life. I'm not promising that. He's not promising it today. But it is a promise. And it should be an encouragement to all of us. You know, I began by saying this morning that we believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And we believe this good news because we believe Holy Scripture is our ultimate authority and the judge of all other authorities. That does not mean that Scripture tells us all that there is to know about God. 
there are other sources of knowledge about him, including nature, but no other book, no other teaching, no other authority shall be regarded as equal to Holy Scripture, and all of them shall be subject to it. Therefore, when we are anxious about this life, and we often are, and when we display little faith, as Jesus describes in our gospel lesson for today, when we display little faith in the promises of Scripture, as we often do, Jesus does not hesitate to point us to his other book, the book of nature. And he says, in effect, look at what your heavenly Father is doing in your neighborhood around you every single day. You don't see birds starving. You don't see lilies unclothed. He still causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He still causes rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He forgets no one, including you and me. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.